Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years' experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, welcome to today's presentation. I'm with my friend, David Householder. I met him when our church was just getting ready to launch Alpha, and we were kind of, we kind of did it backwards. Uh, We were trying to, we bought a set of the discs for 19 houses, and we did it in microchurch setting, and it turned out, I announced it in church, and the guy that was running Alpha for North America was sitting in the audience that night. He was a tourist in Hawaii, and we become friends, and now he's pastoring a church, and uh, just really good to have you here, David. Absolutely, Ralph. Great to be with you too. Our paths kind of keep crossing. I've been following you for years. I, I read your books, I read your articles, and absolutely love your work. Well, thank you. So catch us up a little bit. Tell us a, a little bit about that the history of your relationship with Nikki Gumbel. I, I got a chance, I think because of you, to hang out with him one day. I was so impressed. Guy's changing the whole world and super humble, driving a used Honda. Other people in his position would be, you know, living off the fat of the land. And uh, it was just a very, very positive experience. Just take us there for a little bit, and then we'll get into what we're talking about. Well, I was on a family vacation in London back in the mid-90s. And I always go to church wherever I am on vacation because I like to see what people are doing. Because I, much like you and you were a pastor, you don't get out much on Sunday morning. So it's, yeah. it's always a good idea to get out and, and see what's happening. So I asked my, my grad school advisor who'd lived in London, I asked him, where should I go to church in London? He says, well, you should go to Holy Trinity Brompton. And I said, well, what kind of church is that? And he said, Church of England. And I thought, well, this is going to be like Eleanor Rigby and Father McKenzie. No one's going to be there. You know, I, I pictured it being really, really bad. I had a stereotype. And I told my son, who was young, I said, if you're really good, we'll break our rule. And the rule is that we never go to McDonald's on vacation. We always eat the local food. And he wanted a Happy Meal toy. So I said, okay, if you're really good during church, I said, this is going to be really bad. Uh, But if you can make it through this, uh, we'll go to McDonald's afterwards. And we showed up at the church and it was just, yeah, a half inch short of full-blown revival. I thought, what is going on here? So I I went up to the pastor, Sandy Miller at the time, and Nikki Gumbel was his associate. And I said, uh, what are you guys doing here? And he said, oh, we're the church that's taught at the Alpha program. And I said, well, what's, what's Alpha? He says, oh, nothing more, nothing less than bringing people to a living relationship with Jesus Christ who don't have one. I said, well, we don't know how to do that, so help me with this. <laughs> so he, he took me downstairs to his little bookstore in the basement gave me a half a suitcase full of stuff and I came back and we were the third church up in Minnesota that started Alpha and exploded, uh, exploded. In the 90s, a lot of the suburban mega churches were sort of just exploding and we were part of that and our church went from like 300 to 7,000 in wow. a number of years, mostly because of Alpha because it's just a fantastic course for catechizing, teaching people the faith and it's got this sort of triple, this sort of trinity of evangelism. Uh, it helps you make friends, learn content, and have a collision with the living God. Uh, those three things. And 
if you're missing one of those three, a conversion tends not to take. Yeah. If they don't make friends, if they don't learn anything, and if they don't have that life-changing encounter with God, those three things, it provides a real good balance for all three of those things. And so we brought it back and did it for years. And then I got lazy after a while, quit doing it. And then the pandemic hit. And we thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to reach people, do things? I thought, I wonder if we do Alpha online. So we started doing Alpha on Zoom. And we're on our, we're just finishing our sixth Alpha course on Zoom right now. And we've reached out to pretty much the whole continent. And we've got a guy from the Philippines and his wife um, on this, this course. They, they listen to it. They, they take part the next morning. Uh, it's kind of the way the dateline works, which is fascinating. And we uh, just had, just went over to the home of um, a new person in our church, Zach. And uh, he came to faith a couple of weeks ago on Alpha, young guy, young family, and he's never been to church before. Wow. Now he's excited about doing social media for our church because that's what he does professionally. And I just thought, how cool is this? And we, we, we've actually starting churches because of Alpha, because uh, people started to, to get excited about Alpha online. And also we started broadcasting, going multimodal. And we learned some of that stuff from you, from your podcast. And we, we went multimodal right away with the pandemic. And then we started getting listeners. And then we started planting churches. So we have a fully organized church in Alberta. And we're working on uh, Arizona. We're working on Farmington, Minnesota, working on a few other places. We might just pull in a church from Alabama. So uh, just sort of micro churches that are meeting in homes are just starting to, and they're starting to actually organize. So it's been this sort of perfect storm of wonderful stuff. You know, I'm hearing all this perfect storm with horrible stuff. And uh, I got Zoom fatigue. I don't want to be online, you know, all that. Uh, but you know, one of my friends started a, a Facebook church and it was, he would, he would, their Sunday morning was Wednesday night. He would preach. Uh, and then, you know, people had the Facebook tools, the chat rooms and what, whatever. And it grew to over 400 people in eight months. And then he figured out because we're, I'm doing a coaching thing and he's in the live coaching group. And so he started realizing zoom has way more potential. And so he rolled it over to, to Zoom. And, you know, you, you talked about people uh, having friends, getting content, the word, and connecting with God. One, one of the things that we're seeing is, is missing. Is people are learning about God, but they're not getting connected to God in our churches. And so this guy, in, in the middle of his Zoom thing, which you couldn't do, I don't think, very well, standing in front of an audience sitting in pews. Uh, but in the Zoom thing, it, 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 people will interrupt him. He, he has a, a rule, microphones stay on, no muting. And if somebody interrupts, it, he'll, he'll do stuff like he told me just the other night. Um, you know what? Why don't you just get off the call, go spend five minutes with the Lord, and come back and tell us what you think the Lord spoke to your heart in answering that conversation. And he said that the results have been amazing, and they line up with the Word because he's teaching the Word. I, I'm just so excited to hear because we kind of live in this post-pandemic desert. Uh, church attendance is shrinking all over. Churches are closing. And then here and there and everywhere now, I'm hearing stories of microchurches being planted uh, basically off the internet. But what I haven't heard is is the alpha ingredient. And I think 
in fact, I was talking in my, my live coaching call the other night. There's some folks that uh, kind of started out in a Pentecostal church that was really, really healthy. A church called Faith Center in Eugene, Oregon. It's the biggest church in that community. Uh, started with 45 people. A guy named Roy Hicks Jr. was a pastor, a good friend of mine, <clears throat> kind of like an older brother to me. And um, this was one of Roy's boys, you know, one of the guys he discipled, and they were really healthy. And and uh, and and then they they got into the vineyard, and some of the folks that attached themselves to the vineyard, because I know that Nikki Gumbel and Alpha were affected heavily by John Wimber, and it was wonderful stuff. And and they saw a lot of miracles going on, but then some people kind of started getting crazy. And this guy said his church got crazy, and he didn't know how to control the crazy. And so then the seeker-driven deal came up, and he just rolled into that. And they grew quite large, and then they shrank. And it's like people aren't being touched by the Lord in the way that they used to be touched by the Lord. And so now they're kind of, you know, regrouping. Uh, because of what you just said, that the people build friendships, they get the word, and then they get into a, a relationship with Jesus that's, that, you know, they're interfacing with God, and that, that, you know, is missing in a lot of our churches. But the church planting element, go into that a little bit more, how, how you're able to uh, figure out who should lead a church on the ground in, in Alberta, Canada, when you're sitting here in Southern California, how, how do you know out of the group that you got, and, and, and what's that process? How do you roll it into microchurch planting? Well, what we've done is we've just been very organic with what's going on. As we started to go multimodal, we started to attract a bigger audience outside of our local area. And I just did our, our quarterly financials, and between 30 and 40% of our income now is coming from far outside of our area. So people are actually... It's, it's not just people popping in once in a while. It's people who are somewhat committed to what we're doing. And that started to grow. Our, our Facebook page, our, our, not our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our private Facebook group grew from 300 to 1,800 in the first year of the pandemic. And people wanted interaction there. And so we, we started noticing who was showing up a lot, uh, who was leaving something on the prayer wall, who was doing all these kinds of things at uh, our church, which is called the Well at Surf City. And uh, we just started to notice who was out there and then who would show up in Alpha and who showed a leadership type capacity, who ended up leading the groups, who ended up showing some maturity. And certain people started to stand out. So we started a group early in the pandemic called the Well Diggers. And we meet every Sunday at four o'clock Pacific. And uh, it's a group of people throughout uh, North America that are interested in planting a church. And all of them have something going but only one of them is actually legally organized now as a, as a church in Alberta. And that took some, they had to get bylaws together and all that kind of stuff. And they're really big into local missions, uh, the homeless, those kinds of things. And they just have a real passion for that, a lot of energy. And they just, people self-identify in, in a large group that's out there. People start to say, hey, I, I want to, what can I do with this? So it's not so much us recruiting them as them coming up, bubbling up within a sort of we call it the Wellosphere, uh, the, the whole sort of um, extended church that we have. And those people are hungry to learn how to be leaders. And they're the ones who show up at the Well Diggers on Sunday. And we've been meeting now for uh, almost two years. 
Wow. And we cover, we cover practical church planting stuff, a lot of stuff from your books, uh, things that people can learn, practic- real pragmatic stuff, and also just a little bit of a little bit of Bible and theology, and also just some support for each other. Uh-huh. And so that group has grown very close to each other. And uh, they all know each other, and they all hang out together. And they've started, the church in Alberta is actually started going multimodal too. They just started their, their own YouTube channel and started their own, their website's better than ours. And uh, so we've got to upgrade ours to match what they're doing. But uh, it's been just really, really fun. Um, it's often people, though, let's talk about relationships. It's often people that know somebody that I know, or there's some kind of connection in there uh, with a lot of these people. There's a, you met them at a conference or, or something along the way. The relationships, the sort of Latin relationships that are out there can really get energized by these kinds of things. So I really think the pandemic's been great for, for church. It's woken us up. We were, we were headed nowhere before the pandemic, uh, just kind of doing our best, but just kind of waiting for the next wave that didn't seem to be coming. And so this has been really fun. Uh, we've never been, I don't think we've ever been healthier as a church. Yeah. We've never been better off financially. We've never been less stressed about things than now. So it's it's really been fun. It's been a lot of fun. But to answer your question, I think that if you get a, a big enough net out there, the people start to self-identify. They start to come forward and say, I'd really like to do what you're doing. Teach me that's, how to do that. That's good. Um, I want you to address a couple of things. Uh, I want to talk about the next wave, which I think is multimodal. You know, everybody's oh, yeah. talking about the post-pandemic church and stuff like that. I think we got to think bigger than the post-pandemic. We're we're in a post-Christian era, and you know, when we were in a in basically a post-modern era, uh, it was nihilistic. But there was room for you to believe differently than I believe. You know, that works for you. That's fine. Um, the, what what we're into now is is the polarization, and I don't believe what you believe, so I'm going to figure out how to put a cork in your mouth. I'm going to shut you down. And and we're going to have to do things a little different. And and I and I think as we're coming through the pandemic, and, and I believe the Lord used it to kind of reset the, the church, and the people that are resetting are beginning to find uh, new and fresh things, but it all looks multimodal. It, it's like, you know, the, the church was one of the heaviest users of Gutenberg's invention, the printing press. That's for sure. And the, if you think about it, the Apostle Paul was a high-tech guy. Few people ever wrote a letter. They got mailed in his day. Uh, he traveled further than most people ever would think of traveling in their life on just one missionary journey. And so he's using the, the tools that are there Today, we fight the tools that are there. You know, when, when movies came out, the church was anti-movie. When TV came out, my pastor was talking about the devil box. Um, you, you know, it's just one thing after another, and, and we push away, and then we adopt. But whenever the church has been an early adopter of technology, and now we have so many technologies available to us, there, there's been wonderful things have happened, and, you're, you know, you're describing that. And I want you to go into that, but there's something you said that I want you to speak to because there's a lot of people uh, frustrated over this, and that's money. Uh, you said that about 30% of your budget is coming from people who don't live in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, how does that work? I and mean, get into a little bit of mechanics on that. I think that's important to 
to some people who are thinking about, well, I don't know if I want to invest money. I don't want to crank up the website. I don't want to invest the time. Uh, you know, talk to us a little bit more about that. Well, first of all, a lot of the internet is free. A lot of what we do is free. So uh, I got in very early to doing daily YouTube videos because I really believed that it was really important to get Bible teaching out on a daily basis, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. I've slowed down a little bit with that lately because uh, we're gathering again and things are starting to come together. But still, I think that so much of it costs very little. It's very inexpensive. I look at what we're spending on all of these things, and we're talking two figures here, three figures there. It's not much. It's, it really isn't. So it's not that expensive. And I think it's okay when you send out any video to have uh, clear paths of involvement. I always say, hey, subscribe to this channel. Uh, make sure you pass this on to someone else. If you'd like to donate, here's a button you can click, that kind of thing. And people start doing that. And plus, also with the multimodal world, you can give people lots of ways to give. Uh, we have a website, uh, malachi310.giving, uh, and it's got nine different ways people can give, most of which are, are electronic. And you can say, well, this one charges too much, and this one is as good as that one. You can argue forever. But if you give people lots of ways to give, then people give the way they want to give. We've got lower, um, lower commitment people who give us 10, 10 bucks a month on, on Patreon. And we have high commitment people that send us four-figure checks out of nowhere. And we've got some people who can't figure out who they are. We've even written them personal letters who send us you know, $350 a month or whatever. And who knows where that's coming from. But I think giving people a lot of ways, a lot of ways to give and making a very polite, simple ask on a regular basis that doesn't sound real needy. Just saying, hey, you know, uh, be a part of this, invest in this. If you want to do that, we have lots of ways you can do it. And so we're not ashamed to ask for that. And uh, it works. We have lots of, and lots of people don't give it all. We have a lot of people out there that are part of this wellosphere of the well. And um, that's fine. You need that fringe of lower commitment people. Otherwise, where are you going to find people to ask to follow Jesus? I mean, that's the group, the God-fearers from the Old Testament, the New Testament, that um, that Paul was happy to have in his little gatherings. Boy, expand on that. That that uh, uh, what you just said about we need that fringe of low commitment people. Uh, that's a, such a true. so true. Talk about it a little bit. That's that's incredibly cool. Every pastors are always putting those people down you know they're not committed they don't show up very often they but those are the people that are they have one foot in the church and those are the people that are there listening to your invitations for goodness sake they're the ones who are there listening to your invitation to come on the alpha course they're the ones listening to when you make a gospel invitation they're the ones that are there and those are the ones that are most likely to say yes to that at some point and the idea that we just need this this tight group of Marines, you know, that uh, if you're not high commitment, you shouldn't be here. That's unfortunate. Uh, there's a lot of people sit in church for years before they actually get committed, and that's fine. You know, it's yeah. it's at least they're friendly. At yeah. least they they're, they're bring the word. That's good stuff. And I even know an atheist in England who goes to church. He wants to come to faith, and he just hasn't yet. Uh, but he thinks church is an awesome place to be, and I think he will come to faith at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So he's telling no, us fellow atheists to go to church. It's great. One of the things that we noticed was that whenever we had planned a church, um, the low commitment people who would go with the group, because usually, you you know, you got the Marines, you, you got uh, the, the fanatics, the guy who just got saved, 
And then, the, and that really hurt us in the long run. You know, we noticed that when we were planting churches, uh, within two weeks, sometimes we would heal. We give away 20% of our congregation and two weeks later, we're right back. The numbers are right back there, which told me that I, as a leader was, I, I was creating a false ceiling. The church can't grow bigger than Ralph can lead uh, because, okay. you know, you, you, you lose 175 people and two weeks later, you got 175 more. If we got that kind of growth, why didn't we keep on growing? Well, it's because of me. One way or another, and I, I still don't know <laughs> why, but it was because of me. So as we, um, it, it, but we would get the, the numbers back, and then it would take a little while to uh, to get the money back. Usually, by the time I would teach on tithing, the offerings would come back to where they were before. The leadership base took longer, be, and because usually what happens is you a, a lot of really good leaders go out the door. And in a, but the cool thing about that is it's what Jesus talked about in John 15 about pruning. When, when you prune a bush and you, you cut it back, where you had one branch, you get two or three. And where we had one leader that was powerful, now it took two people or three people to take their place. Then when they all mature, we're just healthier than ever. But what it took us the longest to, to redeem was the fanatics, um, you know, the people who had just come to the Lord, they're excited, they want to go out and plant the church, and eventually it got harder and harder because, and, and, and all the other three areas where we'd lose the number of people, the number of leaders, and the, the money, that's easy to deal with, but if you don't have this constant flow of, of new, excited, fanatical people, you, you didn't really lost something, but the other thing that we observed is what you just talked about, we, we observed the fringe people would go with the, the new church. Usually it was going to be more like, well, that's closer to my house because that's the way they think. Yeah. They're, they're not, the, they're not the, the church Nazis. So they're just going to go with, you know, the flow. And then they get activated. They'd get out there and, and it's what Rob, Bob Schiller used to say. They find a need and fill it. And, and off they go to the races. One guy we, we were in Kaneohe in Oahu. That's where I met you. And we had started a church in Kailua. In fact, I'm, I'm going to record the guy in a podcast next week. He just had a heart transplant. And, and, he's, and he's, he's pastoring two churches in Hawaii from a hospital room in Texas. It's crazy. Uh, he had the heart transplant 11 days ago. And so, um, but, but one, of, one of our fringe guys went out and, and started a food ministry for homeless people. And then eventually started a church for homeless people. And he had sat in our church for probably seven or eight years, just doing nothing, maybe throwing money in the bucket. I don't know, but he didn't do anything. As soon as he got out the door, he was off to the races. It was a wonderful thing that happened. And I think that we have to have a tolerance. You know, I used to tease them. I'd, I'd get up and say, you know, in the last church I pastored, we didn't have a phone because we didn't want to, we didn't want to have an office because it was overhead that we really didn't need in this day of technology. And so um, we put the money into Kenya. We were doing a lot of stuff in Kenya. And I would get brag about, you know, we're, we're meeting in a movie theater. The city's our campus. The baptistry is where Hunakai Street meets the ocean. The worship nights are in this park. You know, we own this town, Honolulu. And, um, and, and then I'd say stuff like, you know, if, if you don't know how to get a hold of me, you're probably not a member of this church because we don't have a phone 
And, and so here's, here's how we quantify membership. If you know somebody who knows somebody who knows my phone number, you're probably a member. But if you had some emergency and you couldn't get a hold of me, then you, you're probably not a member. You're a spectator. But you know what? You're really welcome as a spectator. We love you and we're glad you're here. Make sure you grab a donut on the way out the door and throw some money in the bucket too. And God bless you. And we make jokes out of it, but we included them. And then we'd see them come into the life of the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people like that out there. The the rise of the so-called nuns, N-E-S, uh, there's been some sociological look at them. And they're not sophisticated college people like you think. A lot of the nuns have, uh, among the religious spectrum of the United States, have the lowest level of education, the lowest level of income. And they're just sort of de detached from our culture. Yeah. And a lot of them are young and they're in debt and they're trying to make it work and they're having trouble family formation and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that they're anti-Jesus, they're just disconnected. And uh, they haven't even, don't even have a chance to, to connect. And we, we, the Alpha course, we, we led a guy to, to the Lord from that group. And, um, and I was just talking to him yesterday and he said, there's a lot of people like me out there and they would all really like this place. And he, talking about how we can really bring these people in and uh yeah it, they're not going to be professional christians right away it's going to take a while but that's fine we're yeah. glad to have them there just another little insight about the multicultural thing if you enjoyed today's podcast be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net